Hello, interview listeners, your host Jill here with a quick reminder. This podcast is intended for spiritual, intuitive, and artistic conversations and should not be substituted for appropriate medical or mental health care. This applies to all guests and co-hosts. The topics discussed on this show span intuitive awareness for both people and animals, as well as creative, holistic, and spiritual information for personal development. I'm not a healthcare professional, nor do I give medical, psychological, or veterinary advice. Please seek the appropriate care if you need to. Thank you. Now, on to the show. Hello, inner you. Can you hear spirit calling? I'm Jill, and this is my intuitively guided podcast, where all things spiritual, creatively mix and mingle. As an artistic mystic, we'll talk about everything from art to angels, Reiki to writing, and the psychic nudges only our soul knows. Thanks so much for joining me for another inspired conversation. Welcome to another episode of Hello Inner You. I'm your host, Jill Militzer, and I'm a holistic teacher, writer, and artist. Today, I have the great fortune of talking with guest Shakta Kaur of Kundalini Yoga in the Loop from the amazing city of Chicago, Illinois. Shakta has been the owner and lead instructor of this unique yoga studio for 19 years. She's ERYT 500-hour certified and leads both the 200 and 300 hour kundalini yoga teacher training courses. Shakta also teaches breath walk, a walking meditation, and trains breath walk instructors both in the U.S. and internationally. But that is not all. Shakta also offers a wide variety of virtual and in-person yoga classes, plus she hosts special yoga events throughout the year. And Shakta offers a very cool way to have access to her 250, 60, and 90-minute live and recorded classes with her Shakta Shakti subscription for just $20 a month. For four years, Shakta has served on the board of directors of Yoga Alliance as secretary, chair of the board, and interim CEO. She is a recognized expert in the field of U.S. franchising and in 1987 founded Women in Franchising, Inc., also known as WIF. In 1993, Shakta then created the nonprofit American Franchisee Association, or AFA. Shakta leads pilgrimages to India, where she teaches kundalini yoga, meditation, and breathwork. Shakta seamlessly combines her 30-plus years in business with her passion for kundalini yoga and meditation while serving yoga communities worldwide. Welcome, Shakta. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to have you here. I have a special interest in kundalini yoga. I am kind of a self-taught person, and so I have so many questions for you, and I would love to just 
have you share with everyone first, though, who you are, how you got started in Kundalini Yoga, and what you're doing now. Okay. My start in Kundalini Yoga was like, I think many people start in whatever yoga or meditation or wisdom tradition they eventually find as their own path. But I was searching. Well, at the time I was searching for why I was having the same problems with my relationships. <laughs> and I was convinced it was them <laughs> the whole time. And this is about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. But I was going to different workshops, different, you know, all sorts of things, holistic this, authentic that, breath work, whatever I could find. I was trying all different kinds of yogas. And it wasn't until, well, actually, a book fell on my head in a bookstore. And that's really how it started. I had seen a workshop that was going to happen in the Chicago area. The name of the workshop was Meditation as Medicine. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. That's, that's what I need. I need something with something to back it up. And I'm like, oh, but I don't want to go to another workshop in a beautiful Saturday in Chicago in the summer and stay inside. I'm not going. And in the intervening week, I went into a bookstore and I was walking the stacks of books and I swear I am not making this up. I came around the corner and a book literally came off the shelf, hit me in the head, hardcover book at the time on the floor. And I picked it up and it was the book and the author of meditation is medicine. And I said, I looked up at this ceiling in the bookstore and I said, okay, God, I guess I am going to that workshop on Saturday. So that's kind of how it happened that I ended up and I didn't really know it was Kundalini Yoga because remember the title of the book was Meditation as Medicine. So I read half the book before I got there. And if you know anything about Kundalini Yogis, I mean, you're seeing me, I'm wearing white, right? So after a while, Kundalini Yoga teachers and practitioners will wear white. I can tell you about that later. But I show up at this workshop with my black leather hat on, my black sheepskin coat, my black leotards, my black cowboy boots. I was very happening, I thought, until I realized that pretty much everybody in the room was wearing white. <laughs> so that's how I started. And I did, it was like an eight hour day. And we did all these meditations and we did exercises. We did asanas. We did sequences of exercises. And at the time, the teacher who wrote that book, Meditation as Medicine, had one audio cassette. That's how long ago that was. And from that next day until now, I have had a daily early morning practice. So from 23 years ago is when I started this. But that's how it happened. When people ask me that, I just be reminding me by asking that question. I usually say a book fell on my head. <laughs> I think that's such a beautiful story. It's pretty relatable. You know, the bookstore moment. And I think a lot of people who are searching, they get the answers in the most unexpected of places. It's the start of something big when that happens. And so for 23 years, you studied yoga and you wanted to become a teacher because you loved it so much and it worked so well for you, I'm assuming. Well, here's the funny thing. I, as I said, the very next day started practicing. I even went to another workshop 
at a retreat center for a weekend. It was about Kundalini Yoga with that same teacher and another teacher. And I remember I didn't know anybody in this Chicago area who did this kind of stuff that I was doing. And I would email this teacher and say, hey, I'm doing this meditation for stress relief and every day I'm crying. And you told me that after 40 days, I should stop crying and I'm not. What, what's going on here? And so he was responding to me all the time via email because he lived in Arizona, this teacher. It was very impactful. This whole practice was very impactful for me, but I wasn't thinking of teaching. I had taught public school music years ago. Like I thought my teaching days were behind me, okay? I mean, decades ago I taught public school music. And um, he said to me once on one email, look, I'm coming to Chicago, Shakta. I didn't have my name Shakta then yet. And he says, I've got some friends there and they have a studio and they teach Kundalini Yoga. See, I didn't know that there was anybody here in Chicago. And let's go to dinner and I'll introduce you and we'll see what happens. Well, those people, that couple that he introduced me to had a teacher training starting up in the fall, which was just two or three months away. And I'm like, no. And I said to them, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a teacher. And they're like, well, if you think about it, if you'd like to, la, la, la. So eventually I did. I took the teacher training and every time they said, who's going to teach? I would sit there with my arms folded across my chest. I'm not teaching. I've been a teacher. And of course, who was the first one to teach? Shakta. <laughs> the very first one to teach. Even while I was doing the course, the teacher training course, a 220 hour, you know, very, you know, nine months of teacher training, many hours. I remember going into the bank because I was a business person at the time. I would go into the bank to make my deposits and the loan officer there knew I was doing this meditation and yoga teacher training. And she would say to me, can you teach me how to calm myself down when I get home? And here I am in the bank sitting across from her from the desk, showing her how to breathe solely in and out of her left nostril to calm herself down. And I remember walking out of that bank going, oh, and you weren't going to teach, were you? <laughs> you know, so that's how it happens. Like you said, that's exactly how it happened. You know, as you're talking, I'm smiling to myself so much and nodding because this is exactly how I found it. But because I never have taken anything formally, I'm self-taught and I do a set of DVD tapes on my own, but I feel like I'm ready for more. The thing that has drawn me in about this kind of yoga is the combination of everything. So it's combining the posture with the breath, with the, it, is it pronounced asanas or asanas? Asana. 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 See, so that's important information as I'm going. I feel like I have to get into an actual class because everything that I'm learning and applying, I get so excited about kundalini yoga. I don't know who to tell. I call people. I talk to people about it. I talk to my family. I talk to friends and I say, hey, guys, you have to try this. Can you... I want to try to explain it, but obviously that's why you're here. Can you explain to the listeners exactly what happens in a Kundalini yoga class? Sure. Every, I think one thing that is very attractive about Kundalini yoga classes is it's not just about the asanas, the postures, this, the sequences of exercises. Every class has deep relaxation and we use a gong 
to enhance the relaxation during the time that you're lying down. And then every Kundalini yoga class has meditation. And in today's world, I think what most people really need is that quieting of the mind. And that's what happens with that meditation, which we can talk more about later. But in a Kundalini yoga class, every Kundalini yoga class, you'll know you're in a Kundalini yoga class when the teacher starts off with a mantra, uh, mantras for everybody to get their frequencies, just to, just to feel like we're together. It's the first thing we do in a class. And then we do our sequence of exercises. And then we have a deep relaxation. And then we have a meditation. And then we end with a, an affirmation, a prayer. It's called the Long Time Sunshine Song. So there's like five components to every Kundalini Yoga class. And the sequences of exercises, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the teacher, the Kundalini Yoga instructor or the teacher does not create those sequences. The man who brought Kundalini Yoga from India to the West in 1968, Yogi Bhajan, he left about 8,000 sequences of exercises and another 5,000 meditations. So our creativity is in how we deliver those exercises, those meditations, that sequence of exercises. So that's what happens in a Kundalini yoga class. And the one reason why it works so powerfully is because every class has really the eight limbs of yoga for those of your listeners who know what that is. And every class includes asana, as you're talking about, eye focus, also called dristi. Every class includes mudra, meaning hand or finger postures. Every class includes breath, usually synchronized with the exercises. So you're breathing powerfully, you're breathing in a way maybe you didn't usually. The exercises can be similar to other yoga lineages, but in Kundalini yoga, we have wildly different postures because Kundalini yoga, and this might be one of the reasons why you like it so much, Jill, Kundalini yoga was developed in India for people with jobs and families. And in India, people with jobs and families and relationships and duties are called householders. So these exercises, the combination, the sequencing, that's what Yogi Bhajan's genius was, was the sequencing of these exercises. That's one reason why you feel so good after a Kundalini yoga class, because all the eight limbs of yoga are involved. It's breath, it's mudra, it's sound sometimes. We use a lot of japa, repetition, and it's sound. It's, it's, you're not chanting to some other god or goddess. You're actually chanting to infinity within yourself. And the mantras, the sound, the sacred syllables that you chant, either aloud or silently in a kundalini yoga class, they're not something that your ego created. They were spoken by a being, I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying this to you, by a human being who was a little bit more enlightened than us and had one foot in the earth, but was trying to, with those sacred syllables, tell us how we can reach infinity, how we can reach that part of ourselves that we're longing for all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason why a Kundalini yoga class, I hear people talk almost like you do. Where do I get more? How do I 
learn more? How do I go deeper? But one reason why it feels so good is because all aspects of your being physical being worked. And when you work the physical, you actually change the mind, you change the emotions. So physically, mentally, emotionally, and then spiritually, you're being impacted by the Kundalini Yoga. So beautifully said. I am with you. It's almost as though my soul is just, it's like soul food where you just need (laughs) more. You know, do you hear that a lot where your students come to you and they take a class, they don't know why they're there. And then afterwards they're like, oh my gosh, I know why I'm here. Exactly. That, that's kind of what I was thinking when you were speaking about your experience with Kundalini Yoga, because people will come like shocked on my doctor told me to come and start taking yoga because I need to strengthen my back, you know, or whatever. But then I see the look on their face. And then after class, they're like, I need to be here. I'm like, yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so people yeah. think they're coming into the class for one reason, but what they find it's possibly and most likely that their soul called them there. And then you might have even had this with your DVD experience, Jill. Students often say, oh my God, Shakta, you were talking right to me today. Oh oh my God, why? I couldn't believe you said that because I've been having that issue. Exactly. It's so funny you should say that because as I was watching these tapes, this is from a guy named Nirvara Singh Khalsa. Yes. And he's out of Alaska and he's been around forever. And I know you probably know him. And I watching his tapes, I found him, I think when I was in high school and he was on PBS and then he did a series of tapes. Now, at the time I was moving and I really I had contacted you several years ago. This might have been 12 years ago. You were, again, still in Chicago. You have had a thriving practice for so many years. And I really wanted to come to you to learn. And you said, great. And I said, okay. And then my family and I moved to Florida for my husband's job Ah. and I could not come. And so we were out of state and that is why I got those tapes to do for myself. But the, the whole thing about the tapes for myself was I knew at some point I would be going somewhere in person. I just needed to figure out if, what I was doing within my own practice was calling to me to the point that it was a daily calling. And when I don't do it, it does call to me. If I Mm -hmm. don't do it, I feel like I'm letting myself down on some level because then I'm not connecting with myself in all of the ways that feel the most authentic. Could you share what the word Kundalini means? And when people speak about their Kundalini awakening, Is that something that goes hand in hand with creating your own practice? Mm, Sometimes, but most people, I will ask the answer that first, that last question first. Some people will call or come in and say, Shakta, I've had a Kundalini awakening. And I'll say, oh, really? What is that? How is that for you? Then they describe something that is totally not what happens in a Kundalini yoga class, meaning if they are balanced physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, they will not be having those experiences that they're telling me about. So there's something else going on. I don't say that to them. I say, well, come to class, come to class, because then I'll talk about answer your first question. 
when you're describing that if you don't do your tape one day, like something's missing. Mm -hmm. This is the reason why. When you do, and this is usually how it starts with somebody who comes to class. They come to, let's say, the Sunday morning class. And then they start coming every Sunday. And then if they don't show up on Sunday, they'll tell me the next Sunday, oh, my God, I can't believe my whole week was different because I didn't come to that class. And then I explain this. Kundalini yoga and meditation clears out your subconscious mind. Your subconscious is your seat of fears and dreams, your negative habits. We don't even know all the nonsense that's being stored in our subconscious mind. And when it's like brushing your teeth, if you brush your teeth morning when you get up and night before you go to bed and you miss morning or you miss the night, you are going to feel very strange, very different the next day. Like, uh-oh, I can't believe I didn't brush my teeth last night. The same is happening with your subconscious. If you come every week to a certain class and you miss that class, whatever day of the week or time of the day it is, your subconscious is missing the cleansing. Your subconscious is missing the cleansing, like as if you missed brushing your teeth. And you, because you have a practice every day, when you miss the practice, absolutely, you're going to feel it. Absolutely. I agree. To explain it in that way, now I understand better. It feels like that type of habit where the habit is, is as important as how you're describing everything else that you do for yourself. Everything else that you do for yourself to clean your body, you want to keep your spirit clean and you want to keep your mind clean. And I think we do forget that in that daily practice, that's where it all lives and breathes. So I wanted to ask you this, if you could explain the concept of the sun side and the moon side, I find this to be so fascinating because I do this when I'm not doing the practice every day like I should. I actually stand in front of the mirror and I look at my face and I look at the left side and the right side and I can kind of see what's going on in my face, in my eyes, and then I can apply it to my whole entire body. How is my body feeling? Where am I feeling pain? Why am I feeling pain? Could you explain that concept? Yes. Part of being a householder is understanding the feminine and the masculine. Okay. And because we have these polarities, all of us have these polarities. We have feminine and masculine. We're a mix of those polarities. And the left side of your body, according to the yogis, is your feminine side, the moon side, associated with the moon, associated with calming, cooling. And the right side of the body is associated with the masculine and meaning the sun side and the an action, energy. All right. So there's your polarity. Polarity is not one is better than the other. They balance each other. We need the night just like we need the day. <laughs> we need the sun and we need the moon or nothing will grow. So that's really amazing that you focus and you can see that physically in your face and how you feel in your body. So the polarities, the dualities, the yin, the yang, the, the and here I'm, I'm just saying a lot of buzzwords, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting the gist that it's all about balance, right? So yes. yeah. if you think about Kundalini yoga as a practice and it's a gift you give yourself, 
That's how I think of Kundalini yoga. Mm -hmm. If you think about it in that way, what would you say the practice can do for people when they come in and they're there for reasons? Some people share why I'm a big sharer. I'll come right out and say why I'm in a class. Some people look at me like, I don't care. And some people, <laughs> some people say, oh, I'm here because of this. And then we'll say, oh, good. Then we're both broken. Usually people but, come in and say some, a lot of people don't say anything, you know, why they're there. So the teacher doesn't really know. And so that's why the teacher, the Kundalini instructor, their job is not to try and figure anything out. Their job is to deliver that sequence of exercises and that meditation as it was written using their own personality, but they deliver, they deliver, deliver, deliver. And what they're delivering is an experience. That okay. from the beginning of that class to the end of the class, that person has to change, will change, will transform in some way. Some people come in and say, Shakta, I got liver problems. You doing a Kriya for liver today? <laughs> or Shakta, yeah. I've got, yeah. because we have Kriyas, as you know, we have sets of exercises for everything. How to go to sleep at night, how to wake up in the morning, how to increase your intuition, how to connect with your soul, how to remove your karma. I mean, or then it's about about your heart or it's about like today in class, we did something for the rib cage, the lungs and the lymphatic system. So you can imagine what the exercises were, was concentrating in the groin and the armpits and the neck. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. Let me just say this to you, Jill. You might know this already from your practice. Really and truthfully, it doesn't matter why a student came there, a physical issue, an emotional issue, a psychological issue, or they know they're on a spiritual path. Doesn't matter. Whatever set of exercises, we call them Kriyas because they're a complete action, Kriya, those exercises in that order will have its desired effect. When the teacher delivers that, it doesn't really matter what's going on. Whatever is ailing that student, whether they know it or not, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it'll get fixed. It'll get balanced. Every set of exercises in Kundalini Yoga clears all the chakras. We have 10 bodies in Kundalini Yoga, not just the physical body, clears all the 10 bodies, clears all the elements, clears the gunas, clears. We're like a mixture. We're like a swirling mix. We're like shapeshifters. We can change out the way we think and the way our bodies react and behave. So every set of exercises in a Kundalini yoga class, or when you do them on your DVDs, every set of exercises clears all that, whether the set of exercises for is for the intuition or the liver doesn't matter. It clears all of that. And every meditation balances physically, mentally, spiritually. That makes sense. And also I'm assuming that no matter how you come into a class with whatever physical limitations or abilities that you have, it's all about how that's modified for you. So are there different levels of physicality when it comes to this form of yoga? There are, but you want to know something Kundalini yoga is probably the only yoga that does not have beginner, intermediate, advanced classes because this is for householders. Yogi Bhajan used to say, this is a street yoga. Anybody should be able to come in off the street and do a class with you. 
the teacher is responsible not to teach to the weakest or the poorest performing student. The teacher teaches to what he or she thinks is the most advanced student, because you might not know, right? We teach to the most advanced student and we watch. And when somebody is struggling to get their forehead to the floor, then we offer an accommodation. We don't change the exercise. We don't even use the word modify. We accommodate because her hips are a little tight. Okay, she needs to sit up on a cushion and we're going to bring the floor up to her because she can't get her forehead to the floor sitting in easy pose. And we'll stack a couple of yoga blocks or some cushions. All right. So we accommodate for the student, but the teacher's got to watch. So now when I'm teaching a hybrid class, meaning people are in the studio and also people are virtual at home because it's so easy just to roll out of bed and do a class on a Sunday morning rather than come to the studio, I've got to look. The teacher has to look and see. And then that's when we're supposed to be able to verbalize how a student can accommodate and make the exercise more correct for them. In Kundalini mm -hmm. yoga, it's not about doing anything perfectly. It's a mm -hmm. householder yoga. So the phrase is, you don't need to do anything perfectly. Just lean in the right direction and you'll receive the benefits. And I use that almost in every class. So beginners can be here. People who've done have, have a practice and maybe they don't come to many in-person classes. And then people who are been doing this longer than me. They're, everybody mm -hmm. will be in a Kundalini yoga class and everybody mm -hmm. will be a beginner at something in that Kundalini mm -hmm. yoga class. No one knows what the teacher is teaching, you know, mm -hmm. knows the difficulty of the exercises. It's up to the instructor, the Kundalini yoga teacher to accommodate and take care, wrap his or her aura around the room and take care of everyone there. I, the Kundalini yoga teacher, does not do the yoga with the students. In other mm -hmm. lineages, often the teacher does the yoga with the students. Our job is to deliver an experience and we're supposed to be taking care of the participants in the class. That's exactly how I feel when I'm doing Kundalini yoga. It does not feel like any any other kind of yoga I've ever done and I've tried them all. And mm -hmm. the what I mean by that is it feels it feels as though when I sit on the floor and I'm getting ready to do my practice, I'm not only checking in with myself, but everything that I ever learned about how I feel I should be for the external world fades away. Let me explain that. When I would go to certain fitness classes in the past that incorporated yoga, I was always very aware how am I looking? Is my outfit cute? Am I flexible enough? And am I going to be able to do these exercises and keep up with the class? And in Kundalini yoga, what I found was all of that falls away. There's none of that as a part of the experience. In fact, even the way that you dress is a little bit different. Yeah. The way that the students dress and what, what we're talking about is comfortability, but in a way that's dropping that ego part even more so that you're comfortable within your own skin. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a very interesting that you say that. I'm I'm wondering, I was thinking this as you were speaking, when you often when you go to a, a fitness class, maybe in a gym and they incorporate yoga, usually there's mirrors on the walls so that people can see themselves. And in a Kundalini yoga studio or class, we don't have mirrors on the walls. This is an inside job. 
kundalini yoga, all yogas are supposed to be an inside job. Let me just start with that. But this is really an inside job. Part of it, why you may have felt different that way is because we do a lot. When I talk about eye focus, most of the time students' eyelids are closed. I mean, you're not looking around the room. Often if it's a beginner and the teacher says something and the student doesn't really understand or the teacher didn't say it clear enough, the students will look around to see what somebody who's more experienced is doing so that they can get the idea of it. But eye focus is one thing because we focus the eyes in different places to not be thinking about all that stuff. And then the dress, the outward form is important in Kundalini Yoga because we dress more modestly. Like I used to go to my teacher training wearing my little, I don't know, spaghetti strap, something or other and blah, blah, blah. But I remember when I wanted to be a teacher and I had to be mentored at an event, a 30 day event that I was going to assist at, they wanted to see, does she have what it takes to be a teacher? Cause that's before they had formal teacher training. Like we have a career track now in Kundalini yoga to be a teacher. And I remember going on stage to demonstrate plow pose because the mentor there said, Shakta, go and show us how you'll share plow pose with people. And she said, is that what you want folks to see when you're up there on stage? <laughs> okay. And I about shrunk off of stage because I realized I was totally not dressed modestly enough. And that was the last time I ever dressed like that. And so when I say modestly, I mean, we're not, you know, you can't see people's thongs. <laughs> You know, you don't see a lot of cleavage. Even the men, we make sure, like even, even the top that I'm wearing, we make sure our bottoms are covered. If we get into downward dog or something, that our bottom will still be covered, you know, mm -hmm. even with the men, because they can be wearing things that are ex extremely revealing. But because it's not about you. It's mm -hmm. not about this physical form. I mean, 98% mm -hmm. of us is not finite. We're all concerned about this physical form. I mean, I want to look nice <laughs> when right. I teach class, you know, but it's also freeing because I can move and do all the sorts of things if I need to demonstrate. And, you know, I'm not going to offend somebody. No one will get any kind of a sexual vibe from me. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants that to happen. We also have a hands-off policy in Kundalini Yoga. We never touch students ever ever. We do not manipulate. We do not adjust students. And the best Hatha teachers will tell you, yeah, we could, we're supposed to be able to adjust students with our words because mm -hmm. for many reasons, we don't want any sexual harassment lawsuits from, you know, female to male or male to female or whatever the gender might be. So that's important for folks to know too. You can wear short sleeves and a lot of people dress how they want to dress and teach Kundalini yoga. But typically you'll notice that the teachers dress a little more modestly. And I noticed you have the head covering. Can you explain what the significance is? And I don't want to say it the wrong way. Can you help me with that? Sure, sure. Okay, so in Kundalini Yoga, we often wear white. The white, remember I told you I showed up wearing black and everybody else was wearing white or ivory. And the reason I learned after I started taking teacher training, really, not just even normal classes, was white is not a color, it's the combination of all colors white, when you wear white, your aura, we have this aura, this electromagnetic field around our body. 
And when it's healthy and strong, it's like nine feet in all directions, side and up and down. And your aura is important because it's your projection in the world. And it's also your protection. When your aura is strong and healthy, negative people, negative situations, negative you know, stuff should just bounce off your aura. When you're feeling anxious or your self-esteem is low, your aura contracts by about three feet. <laughs> so we wear white to make ourselves feel stronger, to make you feel the vastness of the being that you are, that 98% that we don't see. And then I'm wearing a turban right now, but we don't require turbans. We don't even require white of people who come to class. But we, we ask people, I remember I would come in with white, what would you call them, bandanas, and I'd give them to the guys and I'd say, put this on your head, see how this feels. See how doing the yoga with covering the crown of your head feels. And every one of them, usually they were business people who were coming to the lunchtime classes, they would just take that bandana and put it in their suit jacket and go back to work. And every class they'd come back and put it on because it did feel different. So the white head covering, how shall I say this, keeps your positive energy in and everybody else's stuff out. Because, you know, the crown of your head, remember when you were a baby, there was this soft spot here, right? This was our connection as babies. And as that closed up, that's when we kind of got more left-brained rather than being connected with infinity. So there's this natural place here in the crown of the head that's really connected. And my hair is pulled up and it's in a coil at the top of my head. Kundalini, kundal means coil of the hair. And any means beloved. It's Ooh. coil of the hair of the beloved. Mm. So that's part of that. And look, try it. You will feel different. And when I see you, I'm just going to share this with you because when I come up, our studio is on the fifth floor here in downtown Chicago. When I come up the elevator, sometimes children will say, why are you wearing that on your head? And I'll say, it keeps my head together. And they're like, cool. <laughs> You know? So I'm meaning it in a different sense, because with the turban, we're wrapping this kind of tightly. We're pressing on acupuncture pressure points on the skull. So there mm -hmm. is a difference. You know how it is when your head is not covered and your hair is flying. If you have long hair, that's a whole to me. I mean, I take the turban off at night, of course, go home, take the turban off. And um, but it feels so different. I don't feel as seriously. I don't feel as protected. Yeah, the containment of yes. of the energy. And that does make 100% sense to me. Would you say that that, and I have a couple of things I want to share just as you're describing. First, I want to say how delightful your personality is and how <laughs> welcoming your energy is. I feel like that, I know it has to do with your natural personality you were born with, but would you say that people who are into Kundalini Yoga and the way that they their energy is, it just lightens them up and it makes them more delightful? It certainly can. I know a lot of grumpy kundalini yogis too. You know? <laughs> so, I, you know what I say? Jill, you're going to laugh hysterically. I say to myself, do they do their practice every day or what? <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. you've, been, you've been doing this for how long? What have you been doing for 40 years? Exactly. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I, that's what's going on in my head. Yeah, I hear you. I feel like when meditation is a part of your daily life and incorporating the layers of 
the kundalini yoga practice into that. It, it feels like it removes so much of that dense junk that you can't help but laugh more, be more lyrical and be more appreciative, reach out to people more. Your compassion feels like it's up. Your awareness is sharper. I'm not kidding you. I get it. And also when you were describing the turban, the head covering, is it a chakra thing too with your crown chakra or does that have nothing? It's more the energy containment. It's energy containment, but also, you know, you are covering, there's no holes in this fabric that's on top of my head. You are covering the crown of your head because the yogis believe, kundalini yogis believe, you know, in some traditions, hair is important. Other traditions, hair is not important. In this tradition, hair is important. They want you to keep your hair long and uncut because the end of your hair, you know, the strands of your hair, according to kundalini yogis philosophy, how shall I say, interlock with the rays of the sun. Mm, beautiful. And you are getting the energy from the sun, but you have to protect the pineal gland, all right, which has to do with can I sleep at night kind of things. So there's, all, and there's also the sixth chakra involved, you know, your seat of intuition above the nose between the eyebrows. So that's a little more complexity, but there's an energetic when, when you're awake and during the day and we need the sun energy, right? We need the, we need that action side of the body going, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That need, makes sense. Yeah. And we need the yeah. whole different thing at night. Yeah. Is there any, I hate to go into scientific research, but people always want to know, are there, are there documentations of the effects of Kundalini yoga on your body and your mind, your spirit, the whole mind, body, spirit connection? Yes. There are, I would say, if you look at all the different kinds of yogas, there are, Kundalini Yoga has a, as many, what would you call it, studies, research studies, like other yogas do. It's not a lot. One that people might want to look for, there's a meditation that uses the mantra, Sa, Ta, Na, Ma. So it's S-A, T-A. N-A-M-A. -A. Sometimes it's called the Satanama meditation. It's also known as Kirtan Kriya, K-I-R-T-A-N Kriya. That meditation has the most research done on it in Kundalini Yoga. I mean, there's a book, How God Changes Your Brain, by a neuroscientist, I believe from the University of Pennsylvania, Andrew Newberg, the first three chapters are all about Kirtan Kriya because they, mm. they, they took people, put them in, you know, an MRI machine before they started practicing Kirtan Kriya for eight weeks, let them practice it for eight weeks and then put them in an MRI machine afterwards and looked at the, the brain changes. The circulation is better. Some people participated in these kinds of studies because they wanted to increase their concentration, their focus, or they were worried about early cognitive decline, you know, pre-Alzheimer's, pre-dementia, because it runs in the family. And you can see it. You can see the parts of the brain that are affected by that meditation and that effect. So the studies are showing there's at least a dozen studies on kirtan kriya the satana meditation alone that show it helps alleviate depression it helps prevent early cognitive decline and what was the other 
relieves anxiety. And that actually was my first meditation. The first six months of me doing Kundalini Yoga and meditation, there was a set of exercises I did, which you probably will know from Nerver's tapes, the basic spinal energy series. Then my meditation was Kirtan Kriya. That was my sadhana, my daily practice. That's, and I want to talk about that. That was my daily practice the first six months. If you could talk about that, because I am familiar with what you're talking about and doing that, I feel so fantastic. I don't know how to describe it. It's just so clearing. It clears all of the cobwebs. You're talking about mm -hmm. Kirtan Kriya? Yes. Oh, how to do it? Yes. Oh, okay, sure. There's that mantra. I'll take you through a little bit of it. We'll just do a teeny mini version of it. And look, you can go to my website, Kirtan Kriya. I must have 150 meditations typed out on my website. And Kirtan Kriya, I think we call it though the Satana Ma meditation. It's not with me doing it, but whatever I'm telling you here, you'll read it right in the piece of paper that you print off from my website if you want it. And we also have like 180 kriyas sequences of exercises because before i had books and things to sell in my yoga studio i would type the things out so that students could take them home <laughs> and i wouldn't violate copyright laws <laughs> that's why i have all of those up on the website now but kirtan kriya yeah and the the other thing that's really amazing about kirtan kriya the satana med meditation is yogi bhajan used to call it the change maker meditation i don't know if you know that how does it go? Because if I if I might hear it, then I might okay. know. So two things that happen simultaneously. We chant aloud and we move the fingers. We move the mudras. On mm -hmm. sa, we press the thumb and the index finger together. On mm -hmm. ta, we press the thumb and the middle finger together. On na, we press the thumb and the ring finger together. And on ma, we press the thumb and the little finger together. And then you always start back on sa. sa so was that his... Was that his combination to put that together? His combination? Yeah. Was he saying to put the saying the mantra and then the mudra together? Yeah, it sounds like this. And now my, just so you know, because you can't see if you're listening to the, our interview, your wrist, your hands are extended, like visualize I'm sitting on the floor in easy pose, but you can sit in a chair. You don't have to sit on the floor. You can just sit in a chair and do this, but you extend your wrist, your hands over your knees. The palms are kind of facing outward. And as I chant, I'm moving my fingers with each syllable as I chant. And it sounds like this. Sa, ta, na, ma. Sa, ta, na, ma. Is that familiar, Jill? Sa, yes. ta, Na ma, and, and then you're, con you're constantly moving the fingers, and then go ahead. And then the other half of it was Ramadasa. Oh, uh, that's a different meditation. Sase so hung. So that's a whole different one. Yeah. So we're just, just doing the Satanama. We're doing the Satanama. And you have to understand, we chanted in three voices. We chanted aloud, which I just did, voice of humans, and then we chanted in a powerful whisper that's the voice of longing to belong like the lovers like whispering powerful whisper and then we chant silently in our head and that's the voice of the divine that's us listening to the divine and then we come out again and we chant in a powerful whisper and we chant aloud out loud mm -hmm. so that we chant in those three voices we chant in those mm -hmm. three voices and Usually, let me just say this, we won't do that here because it's too long, but this, this was the original prescription to have 
an effect on your brain, on your psyche, on your entire life with this meditation. By the way, you might think you know what's going to change. <laughs> I wouldn't bet on it. I think something totally different can change for you by doing this. But if you're worried about early cognitive decline, this will help. If you need to get away from being mildly depressed, this will help. If you need to calm yourself down because you're too anxious and stressed out, this will help. So mm. let's just do like just a few seconds of each voice, just so you get the feel of what it is. And then you can go, you can find it online. I want you to find somebody who's doing it correctly, but at least you'll have my lead off. So you know what you're looking for. So, and your eyelids are closed by the way, and your eyes are rolled up. You're looking behind the closed eyelids above your nose, between your eyebrows. And there's other elements I could add to this, but I won't do it right now. Okay, here we go. Your breath just comes naturally. Satanama, 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 Satanama. Powerful whisper. Silently in your head, keep your fingers moving. Little, little finger in your head. In your head. Not aloud. Still in your head, silently in your head. Powerful whisper. Loud. Satanama, 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 Satanama. Inhale deep to end. Exhale. Also at the end, usually you lift your hands up, you inhale up. And you can shake your hands. It's like you're shaking any, you know, shaking that energy off of your fingertips. And as you exhale, remember I talked about that aura? Use your palms, sweep your palms down to the earth. It's like you're clearing your aura. It's like you're clearing this big circle all around you of any negative people, negative situations. Wow. Okay. I was listening to you do that, Shakta. And I, I didn't want to interrupt you to to say it with you, but I, I wanted to, but just the listening to your voice doing that just started to clear those cobwebs. It brought, it almost felt like it was bringing up. I saw it in my mind's eye, like it was bringing up junky junk and it was just like slimy, junky, smoky air. And it was just popping off of me and gone. Just the listening of that. And then when you said arms up and then sweeping the hands 
makes total, total sense. It's beautiful, beautiful. Good. Just so you know, we did like 20 seconds out loud, 20 seconds powerful whisper, not quite 40 seconds, but that silently in your head is supposed to be twice as long as the prior sections and then 20 seconds, 20 seconds. This is the original prescription. Two minutes out loud, two minutes powerful whisper, four minutes silently in your head. Fingers are moving the entire time. And then two mm -hmm. minutes and two minutes. Mm, that is just so powerful. I wanted to say when, thank you, first of all, you're Thank you, because I think people will seek that out. I know I'm going to seek that out and do it that way. I've never done it that way. So that makes total sense. Again, this is where really classic, good class, good class work, everyone is important. Fine, Shockton, Chicago. I know I think <laughs> I may take a trip. I'm not too far from you because this is where it changes the game when with your practice. Would you agree? It changes the game with what you've been doing. You need to do something every day. You need to clean this attic of the mind every day. So if you mm -hmm. only did this meditation every day, mm -hmm. every day, and ideally around the same time every day, it doesn't have to be like exactly 7.05 a.m. You know, ideally, if you do it in the morning, you do it in the morning. If you do it midday, do it midday. If you do it in the afternoon, you do it in the afternoon. Because your subconscious, remember, gets used to that cleansing how can you deal with all of this stuff that's going on in the planet? If I don't get up and do my sadhana, I would be half crazy. Sadhana is, by the way, a personal spiritual practice. And that's what we're talking about when you say you're doing something daily every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. To get up, would you say, and again, this is where it's comfortable for people and you have to think about schedules and everything. I have just started to try to do this when I get up in the morning right away if I have time, set my day right, however long I can do it, just so I'm doing something. I wanted to ask you, have you seen an influx of people come for classes, especially post-COVID, and their stress level and everything else in the world? Yeah, the stress levels are, you know, off the charts. The stress levels are off the charts. You will feel so much better by doing a practice like this. So much better. You will not, it's like it's like giving your mind a bath, seriously. I mean, that's the only way. And all meditation is like that, you know, but this stuff, for me, it works beautifully. And it sounds like it works that way for you too, Jill. But if, if Kundalini Yoga is not somebody's deal, then find something. But you, there's no way you can get away with not doing something every day. It has to become a habit. It has to become like what I mentioned, brushing your teeth has to become, and we call those more promoting habits than our demoting habits, okay? So that would be my recommendation. Find something. Now, look, the yogis would say, and this is true, the energy between the finite and the infinite are more clear between 4 and, say, 8 a.m., because the angle of the sun's rays to the earth are 60 degrees. That's why a lot of the yogis get up really super early and do their sadhana their daily practice. Look, I don't care if you get up at 11 a.m. <laughs> Seriously, do it when you get up. Mm -hmm. Do it when you get up. That's the, really the best time. Because yeah. if you think you're going to do it after work or after you get back from the doctor's appointments, you're being dragged and you have all these different roles you have to deal, you have to play all day long. You're a partner, you're a parent, you're a colleague, you're a boss. You know what I'm saying? Do it first thing. 
do it first thing. I mean, I have to do it second thing. I have to feed my cat first or the, I will. <laughs> I mean, that's if you have animals, you they, they will be attracted to you meditating too. Don't 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 think that doesn't happen. But the other ideal time is four to eight, 8 p.m. Because again, at the end of the day, the rays of the sun are at a 60 degree angle to the earth. So the mm -hmm. yogis would say the connections are more clear. Mm -hmm. But I tell students, even people that come to teacher training, we'll have a teacher training starting up in October. It'll be a hybrid. It'll be meaning people can come in the studio and people can be virtual. And that's how I'm teaching all the classes still, because people okay. who are far away are like shocked. I got to have class with you, but I don't need to drive downtown Chicago anymore. So I'm going to do virtual. Fine by me. Do virtual because this works through the ethers. Okay. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's what I wanted to ask you too. For yeah. people who, who practice this, maybe they just started practicing, but they have this calling to want to be a teacher. Is that something that you have to take so many classes before you enter into the teaching training? What would you suggest? No, you can. I've had people come to teacher training who never even took a Kundalini yoga class. That's how strong their calling was. Seriously. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. people do come, they want to take teacher, they want to think they think they want to take teacher training and they come to classes. I would encourage them to come to classes, either virtual or in person. Not everybody that takes teacher training teaches publicly. Teacher training, I wish we didn't even have it as that name. It's really for your personal growth and development, your personal spiritual growth and development. You are your first teacher. You are your first student. So first and foremost, you're going to teach yourself. That's the first thing. And then the only reason you might be called to teacher training is because you were supposed to teach your son something. Maybe one of the reasons I had to teach teacher training was to teach that loan officer how to breathe out of her left nostril only to calm herself down at night. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes. That would have been the whole reason for me taking that 220-hour course. Yes, because again, that spirit-led moment, which is so much a part of, well, us as people, <laughs> duh. But then also it's a big part of why this kind of, this beautiful work, this beautiful modality calls to us because it's such a great way to do it. It's like snapping your fin fingers and getting into that place of centeredness. That's how quick it happens, I think. I don't yeah. want to speak for everybody, but that's how I, I see it. And people who have worked with Kundalini Yoga that I have talked to afterwards when I'm like, you guys, you've got to try it. They're like, wow, I don't know how it worked, but it worked. It's almost like, what was it? You know, it was like this piece of magic. So I, I have to tell you, I am just fascinated by it. Could you share with people? And I, I hope that we covered most of the things that I wanted to ask you. I think we did. I know you're in Chicago. You have a studio in Chicago. You've been there for a while. So how can people best find you? Our physical location is 410 South Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago. We're right across from Grant Park and Buckingham Fountain. If you've ever seen that photograph, it's right across the street. Lake Michigan is right across the street. And my website is www.shaktakaur.com. S-H-A-K-T-A-K-A-U-R.com. And you can call me. I talk to people on the phone all the time. And check out the website. Everything you need and more is on the website. We have people mm -hmm. from all over the world using the resources on my website. And look, mm -hmm. if you're interested in coming for a virtual class or an in-person class, come. If you think you're interested in diving deeper, I do full moon classes every month. I do new moon classes every month. 
-hmm. I teach a variety of other classes during the month. We have white tantric yoga coming up April 22nd, downtown Chicago. I mean, and then there's teacher training and you can, you want to dive deep and really clear out all those little nooks and crannies, all those little dust bunnies in your attic. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'll have 10, please. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is what I wanted to say too, is when you're doing, when you're doing this kind of, I don't even want to say work, when you're giving this gift to yourself, doing Kundalini yoga, I have noticed that stuff comes up during my meditations and the mantras and the beautiful things that happen. And what's interesting is memories will come up, feelings will come up, but they're, I'm not reliving them. I'm seeing them like a movie and then they're poof, gone to release whatever was attached to that, whatever stuff was attached to that. It's just the best gift that you can give yourself. I'll have all of the information, Shakta, for your information, how to reach you, your website, everything that you just mentioned in the show notes of this episode. And so for the special event, you said there's one coming up in April, but everything's listed out on your website for people easily, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do also in person or is it all virtual? No, I do in person. Hybrid classes are when you have people in the studio, live in studio, and then you have virtual, you have people in virtual. And I didn't even talk to you about the walking, that breath walk, the walking meditation practice. I, if you, if you, do you, how, how many, do you have the time? <laughs> because yeah, I have, yeah, let's do like a few couple of minutes on breath walk. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, what, there are many lineages, many wisdom traditions have walking a labyrinth or walking meditations. We have in Kundalini Yoga something called breath walk, where you synchronize your breath with your footsteps. And it is amazing. I used to be a runner, like I ran. I mean, I would run races and I was pretty fast. And for 26 years, I ran every morning just so I could keep my sanity. This was before I even got into Kundalini Yoga. But I remember somebody in Kundalini Yoga saying, hey, Shakta, you like to run. You should do breath walk. And I'm like, walking? Seriously, people, I'm a runner. (laughs) You know, like, come on. But I remember the first time I did a breath walk. Seriously, Jill, I am not kidding you. The first time I ever did a breath walk, I felt it impacted me more than even a Kundalini yoga class. Ooh. I was like, whoa, yes. So then I wanted to know how do I do more of this? You know, kind of like you, yes. how do I do more of my Kundalini yoga? And then the man who co-authored the book with Yogi Bhajan about breathwalk, Guru Charan Singh, he trained me how to do breathwalk. He trained me how to train people to be breathwalk instructors. And we have starting in May in Chicago on a Saturday morning, we're having breathwalk and street art and we'll walk by the Picasso, we'll breathwalk by the Picasso, we'll breathwalk by the Chagall mosaic, we'll breathwalk by Miro. So um, people can come and take breathwalk live classes with me now that the weather is getting nice outdoors. And we do have breathwalk training as well. And so that's, you know, if people, there are people who, will will not be caught dead in a yoga studio, but they walk. They love walking. Oh, yeah. They take their dog for a walk. They walk with their partner. And mm-hmm. breath walk is great for them. There are exercises, like we'd call them, like if you're an athlete, you know, athletes usually warm up before they go and do something. So we have warm-up exercises. Then Yogi Bhajan, the man who brought Kundalini Yoga from India, he 
designed Breathwalk because people were saying we need to do something healthy mm-hmm. and I, we like to walk. What can we do? And he said, breathe like this and walk like this and go to that tree and come back. I mean, that's how <sighs> this it started. Is- it's music to my ears. I almost feel like you're just talking to me. And yet we're talking to lots of people who listen to this podcast, but I'm zoning and I'm like, she's talking to me, my language. And my language is that to combine the breath work and the meditation with being outside, being in nature, right? And then you combine that with moving your body, which is natural. And, you know, we got it. We should be doing that. And then you're pairing it with looking at art, looking at pieces, you know, your mind is engaged. This is all making sense to me. Plus you're saying how you were a runner. I'm a tennis player. I've played tennis my whole life. And so for me being outside, I like to walk. I walk about an hour a day. I take the same path every day. I take it because it's familiar. And I know in an hour I'll get my steps in and I'm home. Yes. But when you're talking in this way, you're talking about combining it with something else that is music to my ears because it makes sense to me because of the practice I do inside my house. So why wouldn't you do it outside? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we, there has been a couple of years where we've actually had breath walk classes year round, like one class a week, even in the winter, the only time in downtown Chicago, but the only time that we, people didn't really want to go breath walk was when it was pouring rain, understandably. So we would breath walk indoors. I mean, people do breath walk in shopping malls, you know, in the winters, some of the indoor malls, they let people come in and walk to get their exercise in. And with breath walk, every breath walk ends with a meditation and we're doing it outside. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. I mean, those people who think that walking like I used to is like poo poo, that's not enough exercise. You do. Breathwalk has some great research too done on it, by the way, Jill. The University Ooh. of Mexico at Guadalajara did a big research study on a low income section of people there in Mexico and found that breathwalk was three times as effective as mere walking alone in preventing diabetes metabolic X syndrome. Very interesting. Very interesting. So breath walk can be three times more effective at helping people become healthier. Mm, I believe it. I, I'm all about the studies too, but I always think about how something makes me feel. And I'm like, that's uh, it. Just the proof is in such the pudding on that stuff. I, the way that this makes me feel just to talk about it, I'm, I want to jump in hands and feet. I don't know. I'm going to jump in somewhere. You're probably going to see me at your doorstep in one of your classes soon. I also wanted to say Chicago is such a fantastic city. Anybody who has not been to Chicago needs to go to Chicago. Lake Michigan's (laughs) gorgeous. The city is full of so much culture and food and energy. And I feel like that is so supportive of the work that you do too in meditation, because it's all a part of, again, we're, if I'm not mistaken, let me get this right, because I don't want to speak for Kundalini Yoga, but so you're inward, and then you project your energy out into the world, and then you bring it back to you. This is what I'm thinking, how it's all connected, where your studio is, everything that you put out virtually, everything that you're doing in person, and then connecting the outdoors. It's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. You've got it exactly right. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've had yogis come to help like co-teach or teach something in person here at the studio. And we are downtown Chicago. We're in the loop 
That's my the studio's name is Kundalini Yoga in the Loop. If you know anything about Chicago, we have a train, an elevated train, the L, that runs in a loop in downtown Chicago. And I chose the name because I knew people would know where the loop was. I'm Kundalini Yoga in the Loop. So <laughs> some people think it's, oh, is it an infinity loop, Shakta? <laughs> no, I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking geographically, it's a geographic spot in Chicago. But mm -hmm. People will come, yogis will come to help me co-teach, you know, from other parts of the United States in Colorado and California or Utah. And they'll go, oh, my God, Shakta, you have this quiet, peaceful oasis in the middle of a third largest city in this, in this United States of America. So I feel I said, well, where else should we be? This is exactly where people need this, you know, so yes, right. Yes, 100 percent. Yeah. 100%. I I just feel so happy just to have been talking to you. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I am really jacked up. I'm going to do a practice when we're done here. I just want to get inward. But this is talking about how beautiful it is to do this for yourself. And that is the biggest takeaway from all of the information, I think, in the nutshell is what can we do for ourselves? Oh, there's something. It's called Kundalini Yoga. There we exactly. go. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Thank so, you so much, Jill. This has been a pleasure mm -hmm. for me as well. Yeah. And again, everybody, I will have Shakta's information in the show notes. I hope to have her back on again for another interview because this the time just flew by. But thank you again for joining us. And we will talk again soon. Thanks, Shakta. Thank you, Jill. Bye-bye, Satnam. Thank you to everyone who's rated and reviewed the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, tell a friend. I really appreciate your support. Also, if you'd like to learn more about me, check out HelloInterview.com for my spiritual offerings and AgilOriginal.com for my art. Remember, new episodes of Hello Interview drop every Wednesday. Until then, take care everyone and let your love light shine. Bye!